0: Before we get into the episode, I wanted to invite you to consider becoming a patron of the podcast. If you do, you won't have to wait for the show to start like this because you'll be able to enjoy ad-free listening. And you'll get access to bonus content, including a few precious extra minutes with Hillary Clinton and Cherie Blair. So that's pretty cool. And of course, you'll also get a good night's sleep knowing you're helping to close the gender public voice gap. Because you know the majority of the top podcast hosts are men, right? Of course they are. So visit patreon.com forward slash the story of woman to help close yet another gap. Or you can find the link in the show notes on the website or anywhere else the podcast exists. And thank you so, so much. All right, enjoy the conversation.
1: What really breaks my heart is that our achievements, our gains and our tries, everything gone just because two or three men sitting in a room decided to sign a deal. There was a group of men in Power and they wanted to kill another group of men and now the another group is on Power and they are killing the first one so it's us paying the price. It's women of the country being uh, an option of bargaining of the rulers to the world and to anyone else.
0: Hello and welcome to season two of The Story of Woman. In today's world, it can feel like change is happening, but only in the wrong direction. While we agree there's still a lot of work to do, we're reframing that story. I'm your host, Anna Steckline, and each episode of this season, I'll be exploring how women make change happen from those at the top helping to drive it. We'll look at where we are in this long march to equality, what lies ahead, and how important you are in the fight. This isn't a story of a world that's doomed to oppress women forever. This is a story of an opportunity to grow stronger than ever before, exactly as womankind has always done. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode two of the Changemaker series. As always, I am very glad that you're here. We've got a great conversation today. So in August of 2021, we all watched with horror as the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan and the Taliban took over the country in a matter of days. And the question on everyone's mind was, what's going to happen to the women and girls there? Because when the Taliban were in power in the 90s until 2001, they forbid girls from getting education and women from leaving the house unchaperoned. They flogged and beat women for showing an inch of skin under their mandatory burqas or for attempting to study. They stoned women to death and more. Afghan women were brutalized in the law and in nearly every aspect of their daily life. And now the Taliban are back in power. Today, I speak with a woman who is personally going up against this brutally oppressive group in order to make life better for the girls and women inside of Afghanistan, and who has answers to these questions about what life is like for them now. At the age of only 24, Zarifa Ghafari was the youngest ever female mayor in Afghanistan, and her province was in the heart of Taliban territory in the years leading up to August of 2021. She survived three assassination attempts and had to witness the murder of her own father at the hands of the Taliban. I mean, courage is not nearly a strong enough word to describe this incredible woman. Zarifa received the 2022 International Women's Rights Award at the United Nations Geneva Summit. She's been included by BBC in the list of 100 inspiring and influential women from around the world. She was honored by the U.S. Department of State as an international woman of courage, and she was included in the badass 50 list. She also received the award Women Who Can Change the World by InStyle, as well as many other awards and lists from around the world from various organizations. She has a new book out that's called Zarifa, A Woman's Battle in a Man's World that tells her full story. And there's also a new Netflix documentary out about her that I highly recommend that's called In Her Hands. And wow, the footage is absolutely chilling. It follows her during her years as mayor, all the way up to when she and her family have to flee in 2021. Definitely, definitely recommend. So in this episode today, we speak about why Zarifa wanted to be a mayor, and she tells the story of the nine long months it took from the time that she was chosen as mayor until she could actually start working because of the extremist mob that was made up of Taliban members, mafia groups, and other men that blocked her from her own office, and because all of her male colleagues walked out and refused to work for her. So Zarifa tells us all about this and what kept her going through it all. She also walks us through the typical life of a woman in Afghan society, from birth all the way through death. And we talk about what makes her most proud of the women and girls in Afghanistan and her optimism for the future. And Zarifa also speaks directly to those that are still in Afghanistan, including the men And she speaks directly to the foreign powers that have been creating and perpetuating the terrorism and the wars. And she also speaks to all of us outside of the country and how we can help. This is an absolutely extraordinary woman who is going to make serious waves in the world and already has at such a young age. And just a reminder, if anyone wants to read along to make sure that you catch every word, there's a transcript available on the website, thestoryofwomanpodcast.com. There's also a link for that in the show notes. I'm going to end with this excerpt from her book that beautifully puts to words how Afghan women have always been the ones driving change for themselves and for their country. Zarifa wrote, Women around the world and throughout the ages have forced change from their spaces out through education, trade unions, charitable organizations, and through often heroic lobbying, squeezing every bit of advantage from their positions, however small, in total and together, and however slowly and carefully they created change. The Taliban say they are now more enlightened than they were in the 1990s. This is because they have been forced to be. For 20 years, my Afghan sisters and I have been devouring the opportunities presented to us to become doctors, Supreme Court judges, journalists, and mayors. Millions of us have learned to read and write, the first step to taking control over our lives. A young Kabul generation with no memory of the Mujahideen's civil war, we mingled in coffee shops and accepted each other, Pashtun, Hazara, and others alike, We helped to change our society in those two decades, and as a result, the Taliban was compelled to reform. I know we will win eventually, because women can no longer be ignored in Afghanistan. Wow. Cue all of the goosebumps. And get ready for more of that now. Please enjoy my conversation with Zarifa Ghaffari. Hi, Zarifa. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you
1: for having me here.
0: Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you. And I want to start by reading out a sentence from your new book, Zarifa, and then I'll follow that up with a question. So you wrote in your book, the simple act of surviving as a woman in a place like Afghanistan, of learning how to read and write and earning your own money is a victory more significant than Olympic gold. That's quite a powerful sentence. And I want to start this conversation by having you help us understand what day-to-day life is like for the 14 million women that live there. Can you help... Paint that picture for us and share what you have come to understand about the position of women in Afghanistan society.
1: Let me start from the first time a family gets that the newborn child could be a daughter. From that spot to the end of the life of a girl. When a father gets that the child is going to be a girl, then they start treating the wife so differently and the wife entire period of her pregnancy prays to god to have a boy instead of girl from there to giving birth to a girl doesn't matter how capable you are to give birth to second child or third or fourth or fifth or in some cases it's like more than 10 as well but they will make you to give births every and each year once to have a boy, just one boy. From that spot, when the girl is a little bit younger, when she is like just 10, 11 years old, or maybe six, seven years old, the hardship of life starts toward her. Not only her father, her community, her mother and her entire family, but all those brothers also who are younger than her, who are so small, so young than her, they feel like they have uh, this power of control over the girl and they have this ability to do this to the girls of their family. And from there, when it comes to the education of girls in Afghanistan, it was always, always a problem because the all long decades of war in Afghanistan have paved a very dark way to the lives of everyone, in particular women. Millions of women are still uneducated in Afghanistan. And we have the population more than 75% of women population uneducated is still in Afghanistan. So that's also a case. It's not only because of the rules of family and the regulations of family, but it's more because of the sources and the opportunities that is more or less than what we need in society. And from there, when a girl gets married, mostly in Afghanistan, girls don't know who they're married to, at least the first night or first day of the marriage with whom they will spend. They don't know. And in some cases, boys also don't know. They just get a call from family. You're married. Tomorrow is your event. Just come and then attend it. And then when the girl marries and then starts a new life, then she is going through the same period of life as her mother went for having her as a girl child. So this is that small family thing of a girl or a woman in Afghanistan. When someone comes out of home, they start walking, they have to fight their own family to the community, to society. And then for women like me, we have to fight terrorist groups as well and not only lose things with our personal topics, but more importantly, like as i lost my dad that's how that society works for women still women are sentenced from home to the grave like if you talk to an afghan boy and afghan man about a woman in majority, the first thing they will start thinking or talking about will be like being a wife giving birth cooking cleaning and then obeying the man of the family and then when at the end of chapter, when the woman dies, you know, there is a announcement of the death to families. They will send this cards and announcement and they will publish it publicly as well. But they will not use the name of the dead body. The notice will be like the wife of this guy died no man, that wife has her own identity, she has her own name, but that's the society. So that's how the picture have been shaped for women, but happily for last 20 years and then previous years and decades, like in the time of King Ghazi aman lakhan in the time of King Ahmad Zahir Shah. These are the periods where at least women were having that value in society and they were having the sources as well. But definitely after the ongoing decades of war and conflict, at least the value of women in society have been going so down and broken, which is still very bad. And nowadays also when Taliban are talking about the society is not really The culture is not allowing women to work or to study on blah, blah, blah. These are also these small excuses that comes out of this stupid ideologies of people, which is their own ideology, not part of my culture, not part of my religion, but it's their problem and they are going to connect it with culture and religion, which uh, if you go to Afghan women's history, we have a great great amount of women who served this country in lots of eras of life in an field from being a mother to the king to a fighter with British empire, a victorious fighter. So that's how these are the things are happening right now for women in Afghanistan. So this is entirely the picture of women there right now.
0: That's a very comprehensive image that you've given us from birth all the way through death and giving us a little taste of all the different forces at play from family and culture to institutions and politics, government. That's very helpful. Thank you. And I want to talk about progress because, you know, you've just painted the picture for us of where things are now, the position of women in Afghan society, but zooming out a little bit, so no country makes progress that's just linear and gets better and better every year. There's always that pendulum of progress that happens, advancement, and then pushback, progress, then regression. But the girls and women in Afghanistan in particular have experienced stark progress and regression over the years. I mean, in your lifetime alone, you've seen drastic change, of course, with the most recent example being in August of 2021 with the Taliban takeover. But even before that, when you were a young girl in the 90s, you were schooled underground because girls' education was forbidden by the Taliban back then as well. So here we are 20 years later, and it's all happening all over again. So I'm curious how you see the progress of women and girls in Afghanistan unfolding when taking this longer-term view of progress. You know, Do you think that progress has been made in recent decades, and which kind of direction are things moving?
1: Yeah, exactly. There have been progress made. In particular, in the last 20 years, there have been lots of efforts uh, happening around. And then more importantly, when it comes to the sources and the reasons of this old progress, I feel it was women of Afghanistan themselves. I don't give any credit to anyone else around the world. When it comes to progresses and developments of 20 years, last 20 years in Afghanistan, then people say like it was international community coming in so there was a change and then this all happened. The taking out of our hands entire our achievements and efforts and everything and putting it into the hands of all these political dealers and the project dealers of conflicts in Afghanistan, which is not true. Afghan women Fought their fight always their own selves. Last 20 years is a great example of that. While women have been mostly in lots of areas, women was like still just symbolic and they had like rules like symbolic, but still, we were able to at least be there and prove ourselves and make the society trust us and give us another platform and help us to open another big door of another achievement and and, on our way that was what we have been through all 20 years and that was what the progress was for the most important thing which I'm really proud of it was the effort of entire woman generation of Afghanistan for making peace, for building the country, for bringing prosperity, and then being the beautiful part of developments of the country, but not the part of corruption, hatred, war, and killings, and terror, and all that. If you look to the history of Afghanistan from the time of King Ghazi Amallah Khan, up to now, the entire distractors of the country, the entire problem makers and headache makers for the people and the country, it was always made from outside and inside Afghanistan. It was made from all ethnicity groups of Afghanistan. It was Tajik, Hazara, Uzbek, Pashtun, everyone together, but it was made. It were mean, it were always mean of entire groups and every corner of the country. But never and ever women were not part of this. Women were not part of distractions, killing, abuses to the people and the welfare of the country. And that's the beautiful part I feel more proud of and I feel this is the greatest thing which which makes us as women of Afghanistan, as women of at least two thousand twenty two or two thousand twenty three, especially for me it's like we never had part of into bad things to the country. So now at least for once, let's give us a chance. Not give us a chance, let us to take this chance and to have it and then work for it because I don't believe anyone else than women of that country could serve the country more better. So these are the progresses have been made, especially in terms of education. Millions of girls were going to schools. In nineties I'm sure there was no more than five to six percent educated women in Afghanistan left because mostly educated and well progressed families left the country during Taliban. But now in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty one and twenty, we have these reports that while it was not so good news this as well, while it's not that enough but still we had more than 20 percent of women still educated uh, with higher education so there were dozens of women working 30 percent of the economy of the country the national budget of afghanistan was being supported by women's activities and women's participation into the economic field of the country from there to anywhere else, uh, the progresses have been made. But what really breaks my heart, and I'm sure everyone who, who knows it, it's the same for them as well, is that our achievements, our gains, and our tries, everything gone for when? Just because two or three men sitting in a room decided to sign a deal. And then now we are paying the price uh, because there was a group of men in power and they wanted to kill another group of men. And now the another group is on power and they are killing the first one. So it's us paying the price. It's women of the country being uh, an option of bargaining of the rulers to the world and to anyone else. So this is painful. and uh, But itself, I'm so proud of whatever progress has been made by women of the country.
0: Absolutely. So it's women of the country paying the price, but also driving the change and making the change happen. So on that note, where things currently stand with the Taliban having taken over how do you see progress moving forward what do you think is in store for the future of Afghanistan and you know what do you think is the solution for getting there
1: the best solution is unity the best solution is standing with each other the best solution is speaking to each other the best solution is listening to each other and normally and so logically discussing the most important topic to each other and that most important topic is the welfare of the country and the welfare of the people living in that country. last decades of war have been going and now we have millions and millions and millions of people died in Afghanistan, millions of women, widows, millions of girls like me maybe are still crying day and night for the loss of their fathers. I was lucky, at least I had the body of my dad, you know, completely. But there are like mostly families. They had nothing, maybe a piece of their loved one's bodies. So in a very big coffin and that's it. So I think these all conflicts and everything, if we don't want it to start once again, we need to sit to each other, we need to talk from good to bad, from Mujahideen to Tukhal, to Parcham, to everyone, to communists, to republic, to Taliban, to everyone. They need to come together and sit and find a solution for this. I don't believe the solution of Afghanistan lays in the hands of all these foreigners and all these powers outside the country, outside of Afghanistan, because we, as Afghan people, we know about the history of our country, which has been decades and decades that the same game is going to be repeated on us and playing the same project by just with that small change into flag and and, and the title of the project. But it's that same project, that same game happening to us. Definitely, Afghanistan's war is not Afghanistan's war. It's always a war coming to Afghanistan from outside of the country, from neighboring countries, especially Pakistan and Pakistan's intelligence, ISI, and then including CIA, then Russia. Nowadays, China is also having their own part in it. So altogether this, I don't believe these people are the ones, because they already destroyed everything, so I don't believe they are the ones who can help building everything back and solving everything back. So it's important that we as Afghan people, we come together, we sit together, and we solve it. In Afghanistan, we have something by the name of jirga. The jirga is like big amount of people in a corner of the country coming together for reasons and talking together for days and night. they are talking they are finding solutions and they are helping the situation and it was like from decades going on to that country and it's a beautiful tradition to solve conflicts without another big one That's what I feel will help more Afghanistan than anything else coming from outside of Afghanistan. That's one part. And the most second important part is of your question, especially, do I see any next step or any progress on it? I'm so amazingly optimistic. While I know there have been lots of reasons to lose your hope, at least for people like me, for a person like me who have lost so much, so much for the conflict. So for me, my dad was not only one person being killed from my family. My maternal grandmother was the one who was killed by Mujahideen in the uh, 80s. And my uncle was killed by the war of this communists and all those people. He was killed. And then my dad was killed here in 20s. So I lost three member of family for the same conflict. At the same time, I, I have been myself a victim of terror and attacks around my life. So I'm still optimistic because I believe my generation, I believe the voice of my generation, I believe the power of my and everyone else's voice because I believe our voice has more power than a bullet into a gun. I believe it because when I know the word of Nuclear, the world of war, conflict, weapons, dozens of weapons being produced somewhere, dozens of weapons being sent to somewhere else. And this trade of weapon, trade of conflict is happening. And then it's more political conflicts happening around the world. But in that also still, I, I have this feeling of maybe we can talk, at least we can talk. We Afghans, we are having the same language, same values, same traditions. doesn't matter which ethnicity. I don't believe there is a very big difference between traditional values of a pure Pashtun family who values the welfare of the country and people and who values the pure, traditional, beautiful values of their lives, and a Hazara family who does the same. So I, I believe this is the solution. And uh, more importantly, yeah, our voices. No one can silence us. So we will talk until it's solved.
0: If Taliban have guns, we have our voices. That was a line I really liked from your book. And I wanted to read one other kind of excerpt from your book on this note of Optimism, Which is just very beautiful. And also what you were saying earlier about how it's been women who have been driving this change. I really like this excerpt. And then I want to ask some questions about you and talk about your life. So you said, I know we will win eventually because women can no longer be ignored in Afghanistan. Girls like me found a window of opportunity and we clung on to it. Schools, university, jobs outside the home. We were able to do that because of our mother's determination that we, their daughters, would not have our intelligence go to waste as theirs had. It is our responsibility now to keep that window open, push it wider, and invite more women and men to do the same. That sums it up very, very beautifully.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, this is the fact. For me now, I feel like more, yeah, definitely what happened and what I gone through or maybe whatever was from my mom to me. That's one part. But for me now, I feel kind of responsible for my future generation, for my daughter in future. If I am having a daughter, so I am feeling responsible for her. And I feel... That's how we can break these ice ceilings and barriers.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you are certainly playing a big role in doing that. So your story is incredible. We won't have time to get into it all today, but I highly recommend to everyone listening that they read Zarifa's book called Zarifa, A Woman's Battle in a Man's World, and also watch her new Netflix documentary called In Her Hands. But to give a brief summary of your role as a mayor... At the age of 24, you became Afghanistan's youngest ever female mayor in Maidan Wardak, hopefully I'm saying that right, which was and presumably still is a Taliban heartland in West Kabul. Their territory started within one mile of your house. After becoming mayor, it took another nine months to actually take up your office because of an extremist mob that barred you from your own office and because of your male colleagues walking out and refusing to work for you. As you mentioned, the Taliban tried to assassinate you three times, and when they failed to do that, they killed your father at the end of 2020. During your time in office, despite all of this, despite very often being the only woman in the room, you ended corruption in the province, promoted peace, and did everything you could to lift up women. And now, after the Taliban takeover in August of 2021, you had to flee with your family to Germany, though you've already returned to Afghanistan once and plan to return again, carrying on this work, empowering women through your global advocacy and through your humanitarian organization. So it's all just incredibly powerful, and these words don't even (laughs) do the whole story justice. Like I said, people are going to need to read or watch or both to learn the full story. But I really want to know, to start with your story, in this male-dominated world where almost no female politicians exist and the culture is telling you very overtly that as a woman, you aren't smart enough to participate in anything important and you simply aren't capable of leading why did you want to become mayor and how on earth did you find the willpower confidence and ambition to actually do it
1: actually for the first when i started i was in india i got a message from my business partner who now has the pleasure of having me as his life partner (laughs) (laughs) yeah so he just sent me a link and like asking me see there is a position of mayor for where that province you you just go for it you know and then i because i knew the province i knew the pupils i was like i refuse. and then he started fighting me and he was like arguing me and he was like you don't believe yourself and i don't know why you studied this long and what you are doing and blah, blah, so much, and then I was like, okay, let's go for it. I submitted my CV and proposal and all my documents. After some time, I got a call. I went for a writing exam being shortlisted among 138 candidates with 11 candidates being shortlisted. I was shortlisted. Then after the writing exam, suddenly I've got dozens of people talking so bad about me to dozens of others there was these people demonstrating some young boys coming together and demonstrating against my candidacy for this position. And I was like really shocked. And then I came to understand and know it that one of the guys who were a shortlisted candidate with me, he was working in the same office of so the one who were responsible for the exam and every process. So this guy starts telling about me, so stupid thing to people around this office. And one guy just told me that he was telling her that she is a bitch. She have been in India and she had dozens of boyfriends. She had dozens of sexual relations. She is the puppet of. Foreign sources and pupil, and she is uh, one of these Western ideology women. And if she becomes a mayor, then she starts destroying our own culture and city. So we need to be careful and don't give her a platform. And more importantly, she's not Muslim. I feel like it's it's entire world, in not every corner of the world. This is the same policy to break down a woman. By just adding so stupid words with her name and her personality and her title uh, to disown her, to distract her. And then there are dozens of women when this is happening to them, maybe in America, Afghanistan, U.S., Europe, doesn't matter, U.K., but there are women when they feel like this is happening with them, they are giving up and because they are like, it's not worth of this but i'm like i was like man you know i know the game so why not to play it (laughs) then it got like a fight i was like there are dozens of men like old men young men young boys all together coming and fighting just one me and the reason is also just because i'm a girl and they can not attack me from any corner from any wave you know using any platform and sources because this is afghanistan and if a man comes and says this woman is a bitch doesn't matter she is or not but the people will start oh seriously she is the one who that guy was talking about her that she is a bitch so this is like how it is and then i was like I'm okay with it. Let's fight it. So I fought all my exam process and everything. And when I got the decree, I the demonstrations were there. And one of these guys who were leading the demonstration, he became the first mayor after the fall of government in August, now of Taliban to the same municipality. So it was like all these Taliban and all these land mafia guys, the ones who had direct ties to very high level mafia systems. So that was how they started like demonstrating against me. And then after some time the central government was proposing me exchanging the position. But I was like if I I'm not worth of it, I didn't pass the exam. I don't have enough marks or if there is any other problem you can tell me. But you You don't tell me to give up, you know, because I feel like it's not my fault. It's the fault of the system and the process because I have the decree of prison and you guys are not implementing the decree of prison. So that's your fault and your problem, not mine. For six months, I was silent. I wanted to just keep it okay and fine. But then after six months, I was freaking out. So I started the entire... Three and a half months of big, big war, kind of world war for me in my life. With a post on my Facebook by saying that, take my identity back. I don't want to be an Afghan anymore because I feel there is no value for me and my right as a human being. So I will search another country around the world where my right as a human and then as a woman are being respected more and people cares about it. So then it goes all viral and we started having three months of international and national media's interviews and engagements all the way until the last day someone came to me from a high position of central government asking me, if you're in this for the mayor position, we will help you on that. But trust me, it will be so hard for you. You will go through a lot of difficulties. You will be attacked. Taliban are there all around. You will have so hard time. And then I just looked at him and I was like, you know what? I don't believe. I have any idea of stepping back. I just want it. And then after a few times, there was a conflict, another conflict. And after that, I finally was able to enter my office. And when I came to my office, all colleagues went out of office. And after three, four days, I came back to my office and I collected all of them into my room. And I was like, you know, guys, now I am responsible of the office. You do your work or resign. And then I started working. So that was this entire story. It started from just a disappointment of not going for it until being just a patient. Because for me, it was not just my thing. I believe that it's a fight for entire women of Afghanistan. It was a fight for my generation. It was a fight to make people believe us. And then I worked three years as a mayor. Trust me, it was the beautiful period of my life. I learned a lot. I served a lot. And when I started working as a mayor, trust me, there was, entire city was cooperating, entire people, everyone, everyone. I'm still in touch with my people, with my colleagues, with people around the city. They are messaging me, they are talking to me. And just day before yesterday, I was looking to Facebook and I got this screenshot of that post as well that there was this one guy saying the main road of Kabul, it was snowing badly and the road was blocked. So this guy have been posting something that at least Zarifa Fari was enough good and like at least cleaning these roads, you know, while it was winter and snowing. She herself in the middle of night were coming out and then were helping to clean the streets so passengers could pass. And now look at this where we are. So this was like, you know, just two days ago. It was two days ago, and I'm I feel like that fight when I went to like near about one year, it was worth of it.
0: That's amazing. The fight that you went through just to get to office, but then every day <laughs> it's same. You know, it was just one thing after another. And your life, the lives of your family member, these are no small obstacles that you were up against. So you mentioned a motivation being for the good of of the women of Afghanistan and future generations. Is that what? pulled you through it all? You know, what What kind of allowed you to get past any fear that you may have had? Did you have fear? What kept you going even beyond that initial long trek to get into the office?
1: Actually, with this, there are like two, three things. First of it, it's about definitely is that out of emotion, something real, which in Afghanistan, there was like always when a woman Wanted to go to a first line to do work in places like Wardag, in positions like Mayo. You know, this was also always a taboo. It was always like an ode. And people were like, oh, seriously, you're a woman. You won't be able to handle. But man, why not? You know, what I'm having less than you. Uh, you are a man, that's it. If you get arrested having sexual relation to a girl as well, There won't be any big thing for you because it's you're a man. That's how the Afghan society is. But that's the only difference with me. But for me, if someone talks bad about me also, that makes like entire story and topic for entire family or maybe, oh, entire village and province will talk about it. So that's the only difference between me as a woman and him as a man working in in such a technical offices and such a frontline positions. So I knew that That's, that's the only thing. And I wanted to prove that thing, that man, we are also able to handle whatever the office is and whatever the position is. We just need the platform and the sources. And we don't beg for that. We earn it and you have to give it to us. That's one point. The second point was, as a child, when I was born, until I have already noted this story on my book as well, that when I was six years old, my mom stopped me from entering a room full of men. And the reason was just because I'm a girl. Being a girl has been mostly a crime, not only for me, but for everyone. Of my generation, of, of Afghan people, Afghan women in my country, mostly. So I was like, why? I was always dreaming for myself and I was always planning that I need to change this. So in six years old, my mom stopped me from entering a room full of men. But in 24 years old, I was leading an office full of men, sitting on the top of them leading this office with pure honesty honor dignity and loyalty for my position for my people and country this was the second thing and the last thing it was for me i was always feeling of doing something good to my country to my people something big by entering my office i feel like this doesn't matter it's it's not the entire country but at least I can do something for this one province which will remain for a long time in the memory of people at least and I one thing which is overall like emotional thing for me it's a uh, we all believe we are alive to die one day that's the fact. you how much you ignore it but that's the reality and you can't really just get off of it so but the majority of deaths are happening Just at home and bed, in hospital. And then these people who dies and the only people who will remain and in memory of them, it will be close families and friends and not more than maybe hundred or two hundred families and people around. And then after some time they will be just gone and no one will really talk about it for longer time. But the ones who have been fought a battle, who died in a battlefield, they are not only the part of memories of people, but they are a beautiful part of the history of the world. So I feel every day coming out of my office, trust me, every time I was just feeling maybe there is an a blast and I will lose my feet. Maybe there is a gun shot, a bullet just crossing my head. These were the facts. So I was every day i was carrying kind of this reality that maybe today i'm not returning back home alive that was the fact but what was giving me something to not give up and sell drive that way it was i don't want to die in a bit you know i want to die here so if not part of history if not part of memory but at least my next and future generation, my younger generation, maybe my sibling could at least talk with proud about me saying that I was serving my country. And on that way, I lost my life. So that's that's all three or four reasons of whatever I have been through and uh, however I never give up.
0: All incredibly remarkable reasons. And I would say that You've made such a mark already at the age of your 28. Yeah. I'm really excited to see what you continue to do into the future. And on that note, I would like to ask you what your plans are in the future. I know you've mentioned that you're planning to go back to Afghanistan, I believe. So I'm curious if you can tell us a bit about those plans and any other plans you have, including do you think that you'll become president one day? (laughs) <laughs> huh. First of all, I will start
1: from last part of it, being a president. Whatever I have done, big or small, whatever the efforts I have made, mostly it was not something more personal. It was mostly for my country and my people, for the values I believed in. So for me, definitely, I'm not having that, okay, I, I should be a president. But I will be more than happy if a woman could be present, doesn't matter who. Because, as I told you, I believe women could lead that country beautifully than anyone else, in particular and especially men of Afghanistan. This is one thing, and and, uh, my plan for what next is, definitely I'm working now on another book, which will be about women of Afghanistan, but Now it's too early to talk more than this about it, but I wish we could do it as soon as possible to bring more facts and realities about women of Afghanistan to the world. Zarifa have been just a story of me personally, but I tried with that also to portray the lives of women of Afghanistan into the story of three generations of women like my grandmother's my mom and myself, but this one will be different. This will be more about entire woman of the country. So that's what I'm doing now. And we are still having things around the documentary. We are having things about Zarifa, a woman's battle in a man's world. But more importantly, I'm speaking. I'm, I'm, I'm traveling into different countries around the world. I'm giving speeches and I am playing my role into awareness uh, for the women of, of Afghanistan and speaking on their behalf for the ones who are ready to listen and to, who dare to listen. And at the same time, yeah, I have my NGO Working in Afghanistan, nowadays it's too tough, but still we are trying to operate in somehow. last thing is definitely my personal life. I want to take care of my personal life as well. When it comes to my personal life, definitely going back to Afghanistan is the biggest part of it. So, I don't know when, how, where, and I don't want to disclose anything on that right now, But now I feel like this is the best time to be with my people, to be with the women of my country. They need us with them more than being anywhere else.
0: Well, I cannot wait to see everything that you've got in store and to read your next book that comes out. We'll be right back after this short message to hear Zarifa speak directly to the women and men inside of Afghanistan. All right, so we've talked about the progress women in Afghanistan have made and how individual women such as yourself are driving that progress through the generations and a bit of what your journey has been like. Now I want to talk about some practical ways that people listening can join in and continue passing that torch. So starting with the women and girls in Afghanistan, and perhaps also in in nations with similar restrictions on women's rights, what message do you have for them for joining the fight?
1: For the women of Afghanistan, I wish them very best of luck, because I feel like living a life in current situation is itself a big fight. If they're alive, if they are self-breathing, if they are self-daring to live it, I feel this is the greatest fight. I am amazingly proud of their courage and their determination and commitment. And the only thing I could say to them is, trust me, there is always a light at the end of a dark tunnel. There will be things coming up. Those will be more better than what we are going through right now. You are not alone. We sitting here abroad, we are feeling the same pain because at least for me, I don't feel myself more different and apart than the ones who are inside the country and suffering right now. I feel you guys and I understand you and I promise honesty with all the dignity, with all my beliefs and power. and. Loyalty that I will speak on your behalf as much as needed and as much as I could. That's what I want to tell the women of Afghanistan, the ones who are inside. And the ones who are outside, I wish they could get more united, more and more coming together and all in one, having a strong voice, standing together together and fighting for the ones who are inside.
0: And what about all of the uh, boys and men out there? Any kind of message for them in particular?
1: So for the men of Afghanistan, especially the ones who are inside the country right now, we have this men fighting for just small topics of women with another man and killing them if a boy or a man gets that someone tease or use a smaller big bad word for the female members of family then they start fighting with each other until they kill one of them or maybe each other and then we have this another topic that woman in afghan culture is the most respected part of society we have this cultures so of if a woman crosses a street, and there are men sitting in a corner, and speaks, and laughs, and makes jokes. You know, when they see a woman crossing, then they shuts up until the woman goes away, so the woman don't feel disturbed. So this is how my culture is. More importantly, when it comes to daughters, to the wives, young female members of family, the ones who are going to school and universities, and the ones who are getting married. It's all their family, in particular, the mom and dad who decides about it. It's mom and dad who are the one responsible for it. In such a society, with these all, which is so small, you know, examples, with such a rule, with such a regulations, now there are dozens of men coming together, not dozens, maybe tens of men coming to a village or a province, and asking you guys to not send your daughter to school. And if you send your daughter to school, then I will go to school and I will beat them like hell. If they come out to street and demonstrate for their own rights, I will kidnap them, I will arrest them, and I will torture them in, in prison. And you are not allowed to send your daughters to universities. If you do it, then I will beat them in public. I will wipe them in public, like whatever happened at so many universities that girls wanted to enter university, then the Taliban started beating them up. And then when it comes to the work opportunities, it's your decision that your daughter and your wife is allowed to work. And now someone else who has nothing to do with you and your family comes to you and kicks your family members out of offices and, and you have nothing to say you are just sitting there in silent, man like if you are able to kill people just by small stupid arguments that you guys are having with yourselves why not to at least stand for the rights of women in an, in part of education if you are this much brave to kill people for just your own topics then at least be more enough to at least defend your ancestors' right to education too. Why not? When? How much more? It's just like, you know, it's terrible when I see all these girls coming out on the streets and, and demonstrating and all these men standing in the corner and just watching. You guys destroyed everything. You guys were the part of like the worst to that country. And now at least the only thing we need is just that active support, which we needed for our fight. We don't want you to be in the front line. We are going to the front line. At least you join me for the cause. You're not doing that too. How shameful. I really, really feel so bad and shameful on that. At least you fight for your sister. I don't want you to fight for me. You fight for your sister. You fight for your mother. These guys are like, I don't know why and what happened to them. I really feel so, so bad for them because they are standing in the corner and you see Taliban are like beating women, cursing them and then arresting them. And no one says anything. I don't know why they are not learning at least from the main of Iran, from the main of all other neighboring countries. They are also Muslims, but they are supporting their sisters for all their wealthiest. So yeah, I have a lot to say for men of the country, but the only thing, once again, I will repeat it, please and please and please. We know you guys are killing women for just small mistakes to keep your honor. We know you guys are ready to kill each other for just small topics of stupid honor values that you made for yourselves. If you can do that. Here, at least stand with us. We will fight it ourselves, but when we need the support, be there, be a man. I don't feel seeing all videos of women being beaten up by Taliban in public while demonstrations, while entering universities, and then being harassed, being tortured, and then dozens of women are missing, dozens of women are killed. When I see this all, I feel like there is no man left in that country. I will be badly trolled with this sentence, I will be badly harassed by this sentence, but I dare to say it, and that's the fact. There is no left. The one who is left is just the Taliban. If they are not, then at least they were not able to beat a woman of my country, the girls of that country, with that stupidity in public, at least that one. There are videos that Taliban are wiping women in public and there are like dozens and millions of men just going around and watching that. I just saw some videos and photos just that some of men, they can't see the middle of the area, so they climb the trees, in the top of trees, and they are watching it. Man, at least dare to support a woman too. So that's really, really harsh and terrible. It was, I feel like this was the longest answer for any of your question I made. But yeah, I have more than this too, but I will close this here with, I wish men of Afghanistan could for only one time be more enough brave to, to stand with their sisters.
0: Well, you're welcome to go on if you'd like. It's a very, very important and powerful message. I I feel like
1: it's enough because uh, (laughs) when you feel like you say something and you feel like it goes the right way and it affects, then you love to talking about it more and more. But right now I feel like whatever I told you here and whatever I say right now, the only thing will come out of it, it will be a big amount of tools on my way, nothing more. No one will dare to see here on their own and then chain and like, oh man, what I did. No one will do that. No one will count their own good and bad. But they will directly start attacking me, you know, by putting so many more into my life and into my name. So... With this, I don't think it will be good to say more on it. So I said whatever I needed, and I don't care about being true through, through it as well. I really don't care because I feel I am right.
0: Me too. <laughs> One more message I'd like to ask you about, and that's to people in the West or perhaps other foreign powers you mentioned that it's not going to be foreign powers that are coming in and solving this, and been very much the ones starting and perpetuating many of the wars and the problems that you're currently fighting against. So, I'm curious, yeah, what you would say to to all of us that don't live in Afghanistan?
1: There are so many topics to talk, and one of them is the superpower of the world, the ones who are source of power, the leaders the stupid intelligence agencies, they need to stop bloodshed. They need to stop killing of people around the world, human being around the world for their own welfare. It includes Putin, ISI, CIA, China, Korea, everywhere, 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 every corner of the world. The ones who are There, and with so small and big topic, to bomb places, to kill people, just for their own goods. All 20 years, one group fought Taliban and the other group was just feeding Taliban with weapons, with money, with sources, with everything. And then like, you know, after 20 years, they give them the power and they cut and tie up sources on government of Afghanistan and they brought Taliban into power. I remember still those statements of Mike Pompeo saying that Taliban are chained, Taliban are good. I believe them. And now when everything is messed, they don't care because they say like, okay, we are done with it. But with this, they not only destroyed everything, but they sold us out to the ones who never been part of that country. These normal soldiers of Taliban and the fighters, they were from Afghanistan, but the project of Taliban is not from Afghanistan. This project is not Afghani project. Taliban's base was made when Mujahideen were in power by uh, CIA in time, and then the Taliban were receiving support of Russia and ISI of Pakistan. It's a power game between two or three other powers, and then the victim of it is us Afghan people inside the country. And then, then you come to a part like right now, you see that just one woman dies in Iran, starting from Biden to any other president around the world, Macron, Trudeau, to actresses, to TV stars, to comedians, to, to news, to everywhere they are busy with just giving voice to that topic because now Iran is another new project for the world big games. So they are doing that, and then in Afghanistan, where millions of girls are not going to school, where millions of women are just kept at home, not university, no work, no food, dozens of people dies of of hunger, of winter cold. A very big amount of humanitarian disaster is happening in that country. No one speaks about it. No one speaks about it. I feel like it can be like two reasons. One this is the same people bringing the same situation on us so now why they should care and the second thing is i feel like yeah they kept afghanistan in the same fire in the same war in the same conflict until they get rid of and free of these other conflicts around the world especially ukraine and iran when that's finished they will definitely return back to afghanistan because These people, these stupid agencies and powers, they need a source of investment for their weapons, for their political projects that they have. Especially the war itself is a threat, a business. Business of weapons, business of narcotics, business of drugs, business of politics. Obama, Trump, and Biden. Three of them, the hot topic of their campaign was always Afghanistan. And they were receiving good votes out of it too. Because one was promising bringing soldiers back and the one was promising like fighting is still in Afghanistan. So that's how Afghanistan is nowadays and have been true. At the end, what the message I want to pass is, please stop this. Because no one forgets 9-11. And there is no no guarantee that that won't happen again. So if you give sources, if you give power to people like you did it in the 90s, it will happen once again to you. Tourists are not anyone's friends. This fire could burn anyone else around the world which is already in Afghanistan because that's not just something of afghanistan it has so many other intelligence activities around it so yeah that's what i understand from my country that's what i believe of situation that's what i learned of situation and that's what i think it's just what i know personally but somehow i feel i am not wrong too so i I will call on everyone to stop this game and don't play with us anymore.
0: Stop this game. So I lied, there's one more that I wanna ask you about because that's the powers that be, the agencies, the nations, the people in power. What about regular everyday citizens? What can we do to help stop the powers that be to help support the women and girls in Afghanistan?
1: It's so easy. Uh, you guys are the ones who are voting these people. You are the ones who are the reason of these people being in possession. So if you guys don't want, if these normal citizen of the world, those people, they don't want whatever is happening in Afghanistan could happen to them or anywhere else. And if they have at least the beliefs on human values and humanity, they need to start speaking about it and talking to their leaders. Because I I feel like for us we already talk to everyone so much. We already use every platform to speak about everything around. But unfortunately it was never working because we are not the decision makers into their position. But you guys have the power because you are the ones who are voting them. So speak on behalf of every Afghan citizen. doesn't matter, man, woman, children. But it's important to speak. Speak on behalf of all those women. Just imagine you have a 13 years old daughter, and now she is going to sixth grade of school, and next year she won't be allowed to attend the seventh grade of school. And then she starts questioning you, and she starts arguing with you, And you have no answer for them from there to anywhere else. So if you feel this pain, then please talk about it.
0: Use your voice for the voices that have been silenced. I've heard you say something along those lines before. Final question. If people take one thing away from this conversation with you today, what would you want it to be?
1: It needs to be humanity. The world needs more humans. I feel we need peace and prosperity, love, dignity, solidarity. And that can only happen if humans are around in charge. So give the charge of your country, your society, and the position of leading it to those who are human, who can understand human values and respect it.
0: Lovely, beautiful. Zarifa Gafari, thank you so much for your time today. It was such a pleasure speaking with you, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me here. And I will definitely keep in touch and will let you know for the next lovely.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and think that we need more of women's stories in the world, be sure to share with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to help us beat those pesky algorithms. Follow us on socials for more content from the episodes and a look behind the scenes. And for access to bonus content and ad-free listening, consider becoming a patron of the podcast. This is the best way to help me continue to put out more and better episodes. Or you can buy me a metaphorical coffee all of this goes directly into production costs. And in exchange, you'll receive my eternal gratitude and a good night's sleep, knowing that you are helping to finally change the story of mankind to the story of humankind. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Anna Steckline. It was edited by Maddie Searle, with communication support by Joe Cummings. A special thanks to Amanda Brown, Kate York, and Dan Kendall for their ongoing production support and invaluable advising. Be sure to tune in to the next episode of The Story of Women, where I speak with UK Member of Parliament Jess Phillips, who is a fierce advocate for women and girls, especially around men's violence against them.
1: The main cause that I champion is the elimination of men's violence against women. It has to be about how you end the fact that women end up in this situation, and you can't do that without women's economic empowerment. Women earn less, women have less power, women have less social power, economic power, everything. And that is why they fall prey to the violence of men. And so the only thing that would ever fundamentally equalise women's safety in their homes, workplaces, and the public realm is if they are equal to men. And that is a long, long way off.
0: And a special thanks to our Patreon collaborators, Veronica Linares from Values Leadership Consulting, transforming mindsets to put humanity and the planet at the heart of leadership. Christine Beezy from Untangle Money, creators of financial plans designed specifically for women. Dr. Julie Allig of JLA Analytics, your data's talking, are you listening? Joanna Cummings, editor of the Grub Street Journal, the magazine for people who make magazines. Jill Quigley from The Giving Grove, Little Orchards, Big Impact, a nationwide network of little orchards. Andrew Planet, advocate for naming our species human rather than man and for joint matrilineal surnames to share your name business or message at the end of every episode sign up to be a patron of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash the story of woman get your message out there listen to bonus content and rest well knowing that you're doing your part in helping to elevate the story of woman